Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. All of you relax. This is a matter of inconvenient timing, that's all. I ought to kill you right now. Not a very private place for a murder. Well, I'm all broken up about that man's rights. What do you want to discuss now? My favorite color? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Security Consultant Podcast. My name is Luke Bensey, and in this episode, I want to talk about how do you think like a spy? Um, I am actually headed off to Las Vegas tomorrow. I'll be speaking at CrimeCon, which is a three-day event out in Vegas. It's it's put on uh, uh, by the fans, uh, so to speak. So it's all for fans who are of, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're fans of mystery writers or they just like true crime or true drama. Uh, they like to hear from detectives who've, who have solved major cases in the past. Uh, and they've invited me out there to speak. So uh, my topic when I'm out there is called Think Like a Spy, Utilizing the CIA's Carver Methodology to Assess Strangers. So in this podcast, I'm giving you a little bit of a sneak peek uh, for what I'll be talking about out there. But uh, I thought I'd start off with uh, just setting a, a scenario for you or setting the stage. You may remember back in 2001, there, there was a pretty good movie. It was a good spy movie called uh, Spy Game. Uh, it starred uh, Robert Redford as a crusty old CIA case officer, Middle Eastern station chief, and he had a young recruit that he was training, uh, and that was played by Brad Pitt. And there was a, a real classic scene in the movie when uh, Robert Redford is teaching Pitt about tradecraft. And for those of you out there, you know, who study human intelligence, uh, you know that that tradecraft is that term that's been used for decades, 50 years at least. Uh, and it refers to the practice, the method, and the technology tech, uh, technologies that are used in modern espionage. And, you know, this would include things such as elicitation, casing a place, dead drops, surveillance detection, recruitment, all those things that go into the, the spying genre. Uh, but in one particular scene, uh, the crusty old spy tells his inexperienced trainee, he says, you know, every room is a snapshot. You need to ask what's wrong with this picture. You need to see it, assess it, and dismiss most of it without even thinking. It's like breathing. And, you know, I thought that dialogue there was a great summation of what it means to, to actually think like a spy. It is essentially situational awareness where the intelligence officer is attuned to what I like to call the baselines and the anomalies uh, around him or, or her. Uh, and they're doing so while, while still staying keenly alert to any dangers or opportunities that might be around. And, and, and again, for, for those of you in the intel world, you know that opportunity in this case means identifying potential strangers as targets of opportunity. Now, one of the most effective tools that have been used by spies, uh, you know, back going all the way back to the old OSS days, World War II, um, but one of the great tools to assess any situation has been the CIA's Carver Target Analysis and Vulnerability Assessment Methodology. I mean, we 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 beat the drums on Carver here at SMI, and we like that to be known as the Carver guys. Uh, but you know, Carver's been a useful companion, a companion for which intelligence officers have relied upon to help them read any room, uh, to determine which person might be a good candidate, uh, you know, all types of things. People have said they can even use it to, to find a potential 
uh, person to date. So a lot of uses for Carver. But, you know, going back to World War II, Carver uh, was actually one letter short. Back then it was known as Carve. Uh, and it was originally used by analysts to determine where bomber pilots could most effectively drop their munitions on enemy targets. So during the 1970s, if you recall, the, that's what we call the modern age of terrorism started taking off. The CIA repackaged Carve into Carver as a means for predicting where terrorists might strike against American targets. Well, as great of a tool as it was, case officers who were then assigned to identify potential foreign assets for recruitment quickly found Carver equally useful for human exploitation purposes. Now, to, to clarify, to get everyone on the same page, if you've never heard of Carver, if you have before, uh, Carver's an acronym. Uh, and when we use Carver to assess people, it breaks down as following. So criticality uh, means how badly, if I'm the case officer and I'm judging somebody and I'm looking at them through the eyes of criticality, how badly do I need the information that this person has? So that's my, that's my C. My A then is accessibility. Does this person have access to what I need? And that's, that's a big one. Uh, the first R is for recoverability. So let's say I go and approach this person and the relationship falls out or I get called out for trying to recruit someone. Uh, can I safely recover? Is there going to be an international incident? Is this going to cause repercussions with the relationships between the liaison services? Is somebody going to get PNG'd out of the country? All these type of things. So recoverability is, is a key uh, as, uh, aspect of it as well. Then vulnerability. Vulnerability is, you know, what is this person's level of susceptibility for recruitment? Um, and, and that could be a, a myriad of things. The E stands for effect. Uh, what would be the repercussions of recruiting this person? Um, and, and in that sense, we're saying, you know, what, what is the, the good information that could come out of this? How could this have long-term positive effects? And then the last one is recognizability, uh, meaning that is it obvious that this person uh, is, is, is visibly known to have secrets and is visibly known to be vulnerable? Is this person a drunk and everybody knows it and everyone uh, in the government's like, oh my gosh, we got to keep a lid on this guy because he's susceptible to alcohol, or maybe he's got a gambling problem, or maybe he's, he has vices like women or drugs or something like that. You just don't know. So is it, is it recognizable that this person uh, could be someone who could be corrupted, uh, essentially? Um, now, to use Carver, after, after you go through these definitions, to actually use it, and this is, again, whether you're assessing a room, a facility, or a person, you assign scores, uh, scores being from one to five, with five being, let's say, the most essential or the most likely or so on uh, for each of the six criteria uh, that we just talked about. So the sum of the six scores is the total score of whatever or whomever you're assessing. So the best possible score you could get is 30 out of 30. Now, once you've calculated the total scores for the various assets or people, you can then compare them. So for example, you could use Carver to compare two vulnerable people within an organization to determine which is more susceptible to recruitment for espionage. So whichever person you go through the six criteria, you assign one through five for each of those six, whoever has the higher score uh, is probably where you want to divert your resources uh, if you're a case officer and plan your, your plan of attack, your recruitment cycle. Uh, if you're a counterintelligence officer, you're looking to say, oh my gosh, who in the organization is susceptible, and you may run Carver against your own people, 
uh, more of a, as a defensive me uh, measure, like a counter espionage measure as well. But the important thing to remember is that, you know, this exercise, it's conducted to identify, categorize, and prioritize high risks assets, in this case, an asset being a person, assets, uh, and also situation, uh, situations in order to assess vulnerabilities and to make basically smarter decisions about, about risk. It's, it's all about risk management. So let me give you an example here again. So let's say that an intelligence officer was at a cocktail party, very common. And this case officer started a conversation with a stranger from foreign country. So they make their, their usual small talk, whatever. But then the discussion turns towards what each man does for a living. And, you know, the intel officer being the boring intel officer claims, you know, to be nothing more than a civil, civil servant. Uh, but the stranger, the person that the CEO is kind of sizing up, uh, we discover that, uh, you know, he's a nuclear engineer. Uh, he's designed weapon systems. He's working for a Chinese defense contractor. I mean, in, in real life, it's usually not that, that obvious or easy, but you know, for sake of argument, let's say it is. So the case officer then would then in his head, start going through his Carver matrix. Uh, and so he might ask additional questions to help fill in the blanks of, of, you know, what he needs to understand for, for Carver as well, for his, for his criteria. And, you know, this is used through elicitation, elicitation being that subtle questioning to, to pull out or extract information from a person. But, um, you know, let's say like assess the A and Carver assess, uh, so, or accessibility. So we want to say, what access does this person have? I mean, access is typically the most vulnerable of the six criteria, to be perfectly honest. You know, so so the case officer will be trying to determine what potential secrets the nuclear energy uh, nuclear engineer may have access to. Um, so he may then follow up with the person because uh, he's not going to maybe get all six criteria in one initial meeting. You know, this may have to be done over time, but he'll try to do a follow on meeting, set a, a you know get contact information uh, so he can continue on with his with his conversations with this person. Um, so that being said, over numerous times and numerous follow-ups, uh, it could be something that, you know, using these, these notional Carver scores, which, which may fluctuate. I mean, that, that's perfectly natural as well. But what it's going to do is it's going to give that intel officer and, and his bosses, his leadership, basically a clearer picture of a target and the possible avenues of approach uh, that he could go about trying to recruit this person. Um, and again, let's say we look at the, the V in Carver, the vulnerability, uh, using the same example. You know, the vulnerability will help the intel officer determine how the engineer might be susceptible to espionage. You know, this could be in the form of money. I mean, maybe the engineer has a, a child that needs an expensive operation. It could be sharing the person's ideological beliefs. Maybe the engineer doesn't stand with his government's uh, abuse of power, let's say. Uh, or it could be playing off the engineer's ego or that sense of excitement. I mean, some people out there just just find spying so sexy and they want to play James Bond. So uh, there's all kind of things that you can find as this person's vulnerability. The point is, everybody has their hot buttons. Uh, you just have to identify the right ones to press as an intel officer. And that that's what the Carver methodology methodology provides you. It's a streamlined process for reading people. Um so in that, with that, let me, let me just wrap up here. You know, I, there, there was a, I'll go back to the spy game. There's a pivotal scene in the movie where uh, Brad Pitt, again, young guy, idealistic, you know, let's call him wet behind the ears. 
uh, he tells Robert Redford, he says, you know what? You can't just use these people like they're baseball, baseball cards. This is not a game to which Robert Redford responds. Oh, yes, it is. And it's not one that you want to lose. So using the principles of the Carver methodology might just give you a better sense of how to actually think like a spy, as well as prevent yourself from being traded like a baseball card. With that, I'm Luke Bensey. Stay safe and vigilant out there. We'll see you next month. Take care.